Welcome to the 26 West Church Sunday Gathering Podcast. Our prayer is that this teaching helps you experience life in Jesus. So good, so good. Welcome. How are we doing this morning? Yes, I, I, I'm doing great. My name's Steven. I'm one of the pastors here. And I'm not just doing great because I got these uh, awesome kids songs stuck in my head, you know, whatever is holy, whatever is true. My thoughts will be close to you. Right? I, got, I got them ready to go. We've been listening to them a lot. But I'm doing great, not just because of that, although kids camp was awesome. But I got a spring in my step because Kelsey and I, for the first time in five years, got to get away just us without the kids. And I'll tell you, that's, that's, a, that's a game changer. <laughs> I, tell you, I, I love my kids. I love my kids. But five years is a long time, people. It's a long time. And uh, wisdom says you better thank the people that made it happen. So, so mom and dad, uh, may the Lord bless you and may he keep you uh, and, and may he empower you for many more trips in the future. <laughs> and you can turn that van right around. And, and, and since I got the microphone, uh, spirit of the living God, would you anoint some people in this place with the gift of grandparenting? Uh, and again, so, so I'm watching our kids here. Uh, we'll be doing, there's, there's a few families of ours that don't have you know, family here in town. We're gonna be up here at the front. And if you wanna adopt us in as, as your own, uh, that you can watch our children. We'll be gladly uh, receive that. The time away was good. The time away was good. And, and, and we had an f- earlier kind of family trip as well. And, and those things really marked the beginning of our summer season as a family. And I would actually say that, that today, starting the book of Colossians, marks for our church family that we're officially in the summer season as well. And so I can't wait for what the summer holds. We, you saw all the events. You can get one of those flyers at the, the back Get Connected table. But before we jump into this book and before we really make this transition here, this morning's already been sweet. Let's pray and let's ask God to bless the season ahead as we walk through the book of Colossians. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for the joy and life and just all these good things that Kids Camp has, has brought. Uh, We thank you uh, just for the gift of children. We thank you for the gift it is to be a church family. We thank you for the gift it is to get to watch people grow up in the faith. And Lord, we thank you for your word, which shapes us and forms us and molds us. And Lord, we pray that as we walk through this book of Colossians, that you would use it to shape us, to change us, to make us more like you, Jesus. Would you elevate our view of you? Holy Spirit, uh, I got some things planned, but Lord, I ask for you to move. Spirit of God, I ask for you to move in this place. Lord, I, I don't want to just share some things on a piece of paper. We want you to speak in this place through this book that you wrote. Uh, Lord, we're excited to see what you do in and through this time together as we open your word. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. All right, so first, before we get into the text, why Colossians? Jose didn't force me to, to pick the book of Colossians that I'll be leading us through this summer. Uh, first, God has used, why Colossians? God has used this little book, these four chapters in this letter to change my life. It is a part of scripture that I've come back to year after year that God has used to uniquely shape me. It has some of my favorite verses in all the scripture, which we'll get to. We even had it read at our wedding. It's just a part of, uh, of God's word that has uniquely been shaping and sweet for us. Uh, this book has changed me. This book has changed me. And my prayer that this summer, it changes the life of our church family as well. And that God would use it to help us see Jesus as Lord who reigns over all of life. I pray that this this book would help us see Jesus as Lord of all who reigns over all of life. And here's the deal, in a world that reduces Jesus to just an inspiring figure or a moral teacher or at best, your personal true for you. Hey, it's true for you. 
Savior. Colossians tells us with unique clarity and with unique power that Jesus is the true Christ, that he is the triumphant king, that he is the preeminent Lord over all times and people and places. And also in a world that tells us that, that, that following Jesus is just something to do when it's convenient, that following Jesus is, is just something we fit into our busy lives as, as we can do our best, or that being a Christian is just part of our life. Colossians, again, tells us with unique clarity and power that Jesus reigns over all of life, that Jesus reigns over all of life. See, this book says that following Jesus inhabits all of life, for Jesus is Lord over all of life. This book is going to talk about uh, Jesus' lordship shaping marriage, shaping relationships, how we use power, how we view spiritual forces. It's going to talk about how do we live through suffering, how in the light of Christ are we to approach our thought life, approach our speech, and approach some of the most basic things in life, like eating and drinking. Colossians makes it clear that Jesus is Lord over all. It's Lord over all. So my prayer is that this series, before we even get into a single verse, my prayer is that this series inspires us and challenges us to elevate our view of Jesus, that it inspires us and it challenges us to elevate our view of Jesus and what it means to follow Jesus. That's where we're going. Are you with me? That's where we're going. So let's jump in. All right, Colossians 1, verse 1. Let's kick this thing off. Paul an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to God's holy people in Colossae. Let's just stop right there. And we want to get a roadmap on this letter. We just want to get some handles on it, kind of get our bearings in it before we get too far in. So we're going to talk about the who, what, when, where, and why of Colossians. We'll go through these quickly. First, the who. So you can go to that next slide, the who. The, the first verse of the letter says that Paul is the author. If you remember Paul, uh, or if you're newer to church, that Paul was actually a Jewish leader who persecuted Christians, but the resurrected Jesus met him on the road to Damascus, turned his whole life around, and he followed Jesus, wrote many letters to churches. What we see here is that Paul is the author. And the final verse shows that he's actually writing the letter from prison. The one who was once persecuting Christians actually is suffering for his own faith in Jesus. And he's likely writing from Rome, accompanied by his essentially son in the faith, Timothy, who's possibly actually scribing this letter for Paul. And the chapter 4, verse 7 says that a disciple named Tychicus delivered this letter from Paul to the Colossians. So Paul is writing this. Timothy might be jotting it down for him. And a man named Tychicus takes it from Rome to Colossae. So that's where, that's where we're kind of the who. Who's, who's writing this? Next, what? Well, we're reading it. What is it? It's the letter to the Colossians. Uh, but what's unique about this letter, and maybe it's unique of, of all of the Pauline epistles, is that Paul is writing to a people he's never met. He's actually writing to a, to a, a group of people, that it's a church he's never even been to before. Uh, he's writing to the Colossians. He hasn't been there. That's what's what. So, so where is Colossae? Where, where is this place? Uh, Colossae is in modern-day Turkey. It's, it's, it's a town there and what is then called Asia Minor. So if you read in the Bible a place called Asia, it's not talking about Japan or China or India. It's actually talking about Turkey. Uh, that was what it was called in the ancient Near East. And what's unique about Colossae was it was an overall unimportant or obscure town. You can see it's in modern-day Turkey. They're about 100 miles uh, inland from Ephesus. What was unique about it is overall, it's an obscure, unimportant town. This isn't Rome. It isn't Ephesus. It's not a major hub. This is an old textile trading hub that, that got overlooked as new trade routes actually cut it off from the main uh, kind of export-import roads. Uh, as I was, I was preparing for this, I was like, this is, uh, I have a, a five-year-old. It's like, this is like the plot of cars. You know, like the, the town got cut off by the new highway. You know, it's like, that's, 
That's what Paul said. It's like, this is going on here. Paul, Paul is, is essentially writing to the church, talking about Oregon, to like the church in Pendleton, right? It's like, it used to be significant. Uh, now it's, it's more a museum, right? Paul, what's, what's going on here? Paul is writing from prison a letter to the Colossians. But the next question is when? When did he write this letter? Scholars say uh, about 60 AD. So less than 30 years from Jesus' resurrection, we have this letter. But what I want to tell us this morning is this isn't just some random piece of trivia, like, okay, next time you're on Jeopardy, you know, remember it was 60. This is significant. Because maybe you're here this morning and you believe that, you know, Jesus, it's a, ni- a nice idea. But I, come on, Stephen, it's just legend. It's just legend. But I would argue this isn't really a logical position because there simply was not enough time for legend to develop in about 25 years, 30 years maximum. See, see 1995, it feels like a while ago, right? It feels like a while. Some of your knees are wishing it was 1995. Come on. 1995, it, it wasn't yesterday, but it wasn't legend. We're not sitting here like the legend of Blockbuster, you know, the legend of the floppy disk, you know, the legend of the Walkman. You, you had to walk gingerly so your CDs didn't skip. Some of you have no idea what I'm talking about. Like, you know, the legend of Michael Jordan playing baseball. He did that. It was on the Chicago White Sox. The legend of baggy everything clothing, which I actually want to say on that one, uh, you can just go to youth on Wednesday night and you will find out that the 90s, they ain't dead. They are, they are alive and well. And this means I'm getting old. It's like the stuff that I wore is now back. Like, and this is very unsettling for me. Uh, here's the deal. You can ask anyone about these things. And those, they got stories, even myself. Ask anybody with, with gray hair about this stuff. And they got some stories about 1995. What's the point? See, Paul elsewhere writes that if you want to know about Jesus and his resurrection, he says, if you want to know about these things, go and talk to these 500 people. They saw it and they're still alive. This isn't legend. Paul says this is not legend. This is history. It is public truth. What makes Christianity distinct from all the other world religions is it's based on history. It's not some religious guru having some spiritual experience. It's based in history and fact. He says, go talk to these people. They experienced it. That's when. But why did Paul write it? Why? N.T. Wright says, Paul is writing to the Colossians with one great desire, that they should grow into full Christian maturity. Why is it mature their view of Jesus? See, the goal, the why of this letter for Paul is a desire for the Colossians' maturity. And what Paul wants them to mature in, because maturity is kind of a vague term. I just want you to mature. Well, mature in what? He wants them to mature in their view of Christ. See, Douglas Moo, he says this in his commentary on Colossians. He says, it'll be up on the screen. The key theme throughout Colossians is the centrality and supremacy of Jesus. I'll say that again. The key theme of Colossians uh, is the centrality and supremacy of Jesus. This is the theological heart of Colossians. And like the spokes of a wheel, all the other themes of the letter radiate from it. So 26 West, this is where we're going over these next 10 weeks. This is where we're headed in Colossians, that Jesus is supreme, that he is the center And we're going to say it over and over again. It's on the logo that he is Lord over all. You with me? You with me? 
All right. So we made it one verse in. We're on pace for a nine-hour message this morning. Uh, you said you, someone was like, man, I'll, I want to go deep. It's like, I gave you one verse. We're like 10 minutes into this thing. We're going deep. Uh, let's pick it up. We haven't even got through verse one yet. Colossians 1, verse one. Let's throw it back up on the screen. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus. Christ, King, Lord, Savior. It's not Jesus' last name. It's his title, that he is the King, that he is the Savior, that he is the Lord. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. And Timothy, our brother to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. Grace and peace to you from God our Father. We see here in verse two in this introduction that Paul is introducing himself, but is also reminding the Colossians of who they are. Paul wants them to have an accurate, a true and mature view of their identity. And so he addresses them as brothers and sisters. See, we say this all the time. I don't think there's been a gathering since I've been here that we haven't said this at some point on a Sunday morning. But church is a family. Church is a family. It's not like a family. It is a family. And, this, and here's the deal. We didn't come up with this. <laughs> this isn't like some cute phrase we said, like, we want people to feel as a first-time guest comfortable here or something. Like, no, this is what the Bible teaches. This is not some cute, kitschy phrase to give us all warm fuzzies. This is what the Bible says, that we are a family. We're not like one. We are one. And if you've trusted in Jesus, then you are in Christ. If you have trusted in Jesus and you are in Christ and God is your father, this is who you are. And again, uh, Moo says this about this phrase, in Christ. He says it's about a total reorientation of one's existence. A total reorientation of one's existence. Notice that Paul says here in these couple verses, uh, in this introduction about the Colossians, he says that in Christ, they are holy, they are faithful, and they are family. They are holy, they are faithful, and they are family. And my question that I just have to ask this morning, is this how you view yourself? Is this how you view yourself? Holy, pure, spotless, or damaged goods, full of shame, broken? Do you view yourself as chosen, as family, that we belong? Or as somebody just hoping to be accepted, hoping to be loved, hoping to fit in? See, like Moose says, Paul is after nothing short of a total reorientation of their identity in Christ. And the same is for us today. And one of my goals here is that we would plant our feet in our identity in Jesus, that we are family, that we are forgiven, that we are free. This is who you are if you've surrendered to Jesus. And that's the introduction. Verse three, let's keep rolling. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. This will be a larger chunk here. Because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love you have for all of God's people. The faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and it's growing throughout the whole world, just as it's been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who was a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. See, in this section here, these, these few verses, Paul is thanking God for the Colossians' faith, hope, and love. Faith in Jesus as the Christ, love for each other, and a hope in the gospel. See, Paul says that faith and love, they spring up from hope. 
from the hope we have, which is secure and real and stored up in heaven for you. Paul says that the true message of the gospel alone offers the true basis for hope. See, no other message, church family, no other message but the gospel can offer true hope. No other message but the true gospel can offer true hope. See, false teachers, I think why Paul is making this point here is false teachers in Colossae, they were disrupting, they were casting doubt on Christ and his gospel. We don't know their exact names. We don't know the name of their exact philosophy, but we see a pattern in Paul's response in this letter that these teachers were saying, you need Jesus plus something. There's this false script going on that you need Jesus plus something to experience life and hope, to, 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 be, to have the sufficient life. You need Jesus plus something. And he says there's traditions, there's visions, there's angels, there's more, as we're going to see later. And what Paul does is he combats these errors with the truth and encourages them in the gospel. But the question you might be thinking is, okay, what does that have to do for me today? I think we also need to be encouraged in the gospel truth that our only hope is in Jesus plus nothing else. Here's the deal. I I don't think many of us in this room this morning are struggling with, man, the only way I'm gonna have hope is Jesus plus visions or Jesus plus angels or something like that, as we'll see later in the book. But I think there's some other visions. I think there might be some other false messages and false scripts that are being proclaimed around us. We'll look at a couple of these. Some false scripts first. Jesus plus insert political party. And that's the message of safety and hope. I literally, it was on social media and I saw back-to-back posts. One person saying, the only hope we have for our country, the only hope we have for security, the only hope we have is if XYZ candidate gets enough. And literally the next post was, the only hope we have for our country is if this other person gets, and it's like, man, what? this feels fragile. This feels fragile. Jesus plus politics safety and hope. Or maybe it's not that for us. Maybe the script that we struggle with is the next one. Jesus plus insert our saving account is success and security. That if we have a savings account that has a certain number, then it means I'm someone. That means I'm safe. That means that I'm successful. Jesus plus. Maybe it's for identity. Jesus plus a degree or Jesus plus a marriage. Then I'll be someone. Then I will have an identity. Then I will be satisfied. Jesus plus, or maybe the one that, this one I literally see on coffee mugs. Hey, it's this, Jesus, uh, you go like I said, Jesus plus coffee equals sustenance and comfort. Uh, I've literally seen this on a mug. I'm going to tell you, uh, I'm going to tell you in the Pacific Northern, only one of those is actually needed. Let's be clear. Uh, only one of these is needed. I don't know if, you're, if that's too close here in Portland. I don't know if you're ready to talk about that addiction yet, uh, but, but here we are. And here's the good news, church family. If our hope is found in Jesus plus nothing else, then nothing else can compromise, threaten, challenge, or spoil our hope. I'll say it again. If our hope is found in Jesus plus nothing else, then nothing else can compromise, threaten, challenge, or spoil our hope. What do I mean? Cancer, economic recession, banks closing, that medical diagnosis, or your favorite political candidate losing are a huge threat to those who hope in health and politics and economics. This foundation is shaky at best and it cannot hold. But our hope, our hope, and what I'm here to do, what I've been tasked with as I stand up here with the Holy Scriptures, what I've been tasked with is to remind us that our hope is in heaven. 
For this is the location, heaven itself, where Jesus is presently ruling and reigning after paying for sin, where he is risen and now seated at the right hand of the Father in heaven. And that is from where he will one day return to make all things new. This is the true gospel message. And Paul wants to make sure that these Colossians have a mature and accurate view of it. That Jesus is supreme and his gospel is sufficient. That Jesus is supreme and his gospel is sufficient. That Jesus is above all and his gospel is enough. Our hope, our cry, our anthem, it's Jesus plus nothing. It's Jesus plus nothing. Are you with me? Amen. Amen. Jesus is supreme and the gospel. Verse six, let's, let's, let's hone in here. The gospel, we're talking about it being sufficient, is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. See, the gospel is sufficient to change the world and to change our lives. Again, we could open up the microphone here and just tell story after story of how the gospel has changed us. There is no other power and there is no other message. The gospel is enough. See, Paul says that when you truly understand the gospel of grace, When you truly understand the gospel of grace, it grows, it bears fruit, it changes everything. When we don't just hear it, but when we understand it, and there is a difference, right? There's a difference. I got young kids. There's a difference between him hearing me uh, do the thing and understanding and actually accomplishing it, right? Uh, when, When we don't just hear, but when we understand that in Christ, you're fully accepted. So you need to hear that this morning. In Christ, you are fully accepted. I wasn't planning on sharing this. The reality is, our gra- to be loved and not known is, is surface. It doesn't mean anything. To be fully known and not loved is our greatest fear. But to be fully known and fully loved is our greatest desire. There is one who fully knows you and fully loves you. And it is God alone. It is God alone. See, when we understand that in Christ you are fully accepted and loved based on his unconditional grace, you can stop needing to live for the approval of others. When you actually realize that, when you understand you have all the approval you could ever long for in God, you don't have to have the approval of others. You're finally free. We're no longer a slave to other people's opinions, other people's approval, other people's acceptance. We don't need it because we are fully loved already in Christ. When you understand how great God is, how glorious, how supreme Jesus is, and you put your trust in how he is orchestrating the world, how he is is moving the future, then you can let go of your need for control. We can let go of our need to be in control. We We can let go of the crippling anxiety that comes from the unknown, unpredictable reality of life. Again, we're free. Some of us are held captive by a desire to need to control. And the invitation is trust and understand that there is one who actually is. Let us surrender to him. When you understand that you have an identity in Jesus that's built on grace, you didn't earn it with good performance, which means you can't lose it by bad performance. Like some of us need to hear that. We're we're in Intel and Nike. We've got some driven people here that are high success. Grace. You can get off the treadmill of performance. You didn't earn God's grace by your good performance, so you will never lose it by your bad performance. Like, this is good news. And when we understand that, when we plant our feet in this grace, 
from this fixed identity, you don't fall apart when your title and when your reputation and when your relationship status is threatened. See, the gospel alone roots our feet deep in God's unconditional love and therefore sets us free from our own performance and liberates us from the world's pressure. The gospel is enough. The gospel is enough. Paul keeps looking. Verse, verse nine, let's read this together. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding of the spirit gifts so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience. We're gonna slow down in these verses. See, we just, if you've been here for any amount of time, if you're new, uh, we actually spent a, a six month plus, almost a year in the Holy Spirit. We did an extensive series. You can go online and, and dive into that. We actually, on our, that Life in Jesus podcast, we have a deep dive talking about the spirituals and the gifts of the Spirit. Uh, but you'll notice in these texts that the Holy Spirit is the one who gives wisdom, understanding, and knowledge. It's the Spirit who's giving these things. But the question is why? Why? Look at what verse 10 says. These things aren't the end. The Holy Spirit gives these things so that we might live a life worthy of the Lord in every way. The Holy Spirit empowers us to live worthy of the Lord in every way because he is Lord over all. And then Paul, what he does is he colors in a little bit. Like, what does that mean to live a life worthy of the Lord? Well, it looks like bearing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of God. This is what a life worthy of the Lord looks like. You can go to the next slide. A life worthy of the Lord is right living and right theology. That we need both. Both are absolutely essential. We cannot separate them. We cannot separate them. If we want to live a life worthy of the Lord, we need to have right theology, a right view of God, and we have right living, right surrender. I think we gotta be honest here, right? Like, where are we at? I believe that when we get up here and we teach, we're not just giving generic messages. We're giving a message to, to our church family at this time, and I'm the one teaching it. Like, this, this is localized, contextualized stuff. And I think we need to hear just today, this morning, that right theology, because what we are is we are a gospel-centered church. We're a Bible-believing church, right? This, this is what we believe in. And I think we need to hear that good theology, like if we ultimately have good theology that leaves us not in right living, then it isn't good theology. Like if, if we say, I've got good theology, but it leaves you as an arrogant jerk, then it, I'd argue it's not very good. Like, and I've been there. I've been there. And I just want to, like, I want to argue that these things cannot be separated. Like, we need both. If we have a theology that leaves us proud and arrogant, what good is that? If we have a theology that leaves us cold and distant and suspicious of others, what good is that? I would argue there's something devoid and missing. It's not just enough to think right thoughts. We actually must, if we're going to live a life worthy of the Lord, have a right response as inhaling and exhaling can't be separated to breathe. We need to inhale right theology, right views of God, right understanding of the gospel. We need this. We need to inhale. But also we need to exhale right living, right response, right action, right surrender to really breathe. Uh, and it's really like, well, which one's more important? It's like, that's the wrong question. <laughs> which one's more important to breathing, inhaling or exhaling? You kind of need both. Like, so we kind of need both if we're gonna actually live a life worthy of the Lord. Are you with me? Are you with me? Are we tracking? Also, looking at, at verse 11 here, Paul isn't saying 
And I think it's easy to view the Holy Spirit as like, God gave us a starter pack and now you're good to go. Like, best of luck. Like, he just the one that got us started. Uh, like, Kelsey had this image of like, it'd be like, God gave us this paint set and said, I hope you figure out how to paint. Like, good luck. And like, no, like, he actually teaches us how to do this stuff. He doesn't just give us the starter pack and go. Like, give us the gas to, you know, I hope there's enough gas in the car to get where you're going. Like, no, what Paul's saying here is that the Spirit strengthens and sustains us to be able to do what God is actually calling us to do. God calls us to honor him in all of life. And we will unapologetically say, this is what God commands of us. We're not gonna water this thing down. We're not gonna, we're not gonna try to take away the punches of what the scripture's saying. We're not gonna try to lessen what Jesus is calling in our life. He has high commands, high expectations, a high call for us. But God calls us to honor him, but he gives us his spirit to empower us and actually enable us to actually be able to do it. He doesn't call us to do something that we can't do. He actually gives us his spirit so we can actually do it, but we can't do it without the spirit. Read that verse again, verse 11. Being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience. See, we also see here, we see the amount and we see the aim of God's strengthening from the spirit. Let's start with the amount. Let's start with the amount. What we see here is the amount is all. Someone say all power this morning. Let's do it again. All power. That's what we got. We don't, have, we don't have the bare minimum of power. We don't have a modest amount. He's like, oh, I'm gonna, you know, we don't want you to overload here. We don't want you to, you know, binge and be gluttonous on power. Like, it, not good enough. What, what the scriptures say is that God has given us through the spirit all power, all power. His glorious might, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead, the same spirit, that resurrection power that has put Jesus at the right hand of the father. That is what we have in the Holy Spirit. This is what we have. That same resurrection power lives in us. So church family, brothers and sisters, we are never hopeless. We are never helpless. We are never defeated. We are never done. For we have access to all power. We have access to all power. That's the amount. The amount is all. Some of us, we need to lift our heads this morning. You have all power. The same power that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you and empowers you to live a life worthy of the Lord. All power. But the aim, so the amount is all, the aim, the aim is a little bit surprising. The aim of this power and might is not to take the hill. It's not to charge and vanquish the, the enemies. It's, it's not to win the battle. It's not power to wreck our foes or anything like that. It's endurance and patience. The aim of all power is not conquest, endurance, patience. N.T. Wright says this about this verse. It'll be up on the screen. Endurance is what faith, hope, and love bring to an apparently impossible situation. Patience, (laughs) what they show to an apparently impossible person. (laughs) There are going to be situations where you're going to need all power for endurance. Some of you are walking through it right now. You don't have the strength in and of yourself to get through it. You need the endurance and the power that comes from the Spirit alone. Then on the flip side, there's going to be situations that we need endurance, but there's also going to be some people where you're going to need all power to be patient with them. Some of you guys, you're going to go to some some Fourth of July dinner with some family, and you're going to need all power to be patient with with these. I'm going to need all power to be patient with my neighbors. They're going to be lighting off 
fireworks at 1 a.m. because they decide, you know what? My kids don't need to sleep. I'm going to require all power to be patient with these folks. Uh, there's some folks, maybe they're in your community group. You're like, I need all power every week to be, to be patient. I'm glad we're on summer break. Hopefully that's not the case, but maybe it is. Some of you are sitting here saying, amen and amen. And as the old joke goes, if you don't know what I'm talking about, then you're the person we're trying to be patient with, right? <laughs> so we're like, I have no idea. Who, who would I be talking about? It's like, it's you. No, it never would be you, but it's you. Um, a life of endurance, patience, right theology, right living, full of the Holy Spirit. This is what it looks like to live a life worthy of the Lord. But the good news is that the Lord provides for what he calls us to do. We have what, he need, what we need. The Holy Spirit is the gift. The Holy Spirit is the gift. God is with us. God is with us. Colossians 1, let's look at verse 12. And giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of life. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Paul, he's getting going now. He's getting going. He was greeting and now he's preaching. He, he was praying for the Colossians and now he's proclaiming over them and I'm here for it. I, he is just getting rolling here. He says, giving joyful thanks to the Father. The reality is that God has adopted you. God has called you and God has given you a new identity as son, as daughter, as chosen, as loved. God has done this. And this ought to cause joyful thanksgiving. It's not to cause joyful Thanksgiving. I remember Steve Marshman told me one time, he said, I think Thanksgiving is the most Christian holiday. Like at the end of the day, it's focused on Thanksgiving because Thanksgiving reveals a true understanding of grace. I'd say, Steve, I think Easter might, you know, have something to, you know. But uh, no, he's not here. I don't even think he's here to defend himself. So that's not fair. Uh, Thanksgiving reveals a true understanding of God's grace that you know what you have is not earned, but a gift. See, Thanksgiving reveals that we understand what we have is not earned. It's not achieved. It's a gift. See, you and I, we don't, we don't achieve this. We don't achieve this adoption. We don't achieve this identity. We don't achieve this good news. We receive it, and we rejoice in it. See, true maturity understands God's work of grace and God's nature as a good father. This adoption means that we're children. And if we're children, this means that we have an inheritance. See, adoption means we're children. And if we're children, that means we have an inheritance. We don't just have a new identity. We have a new inheritance. Look at this at the back half of verse 12. God has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of life. Read that again. God has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. Church family, God has adopted us and he has qualified us as well. And I wanna say, I'll admit to you, this is both humbling and emboldening. Humbling in that you and I, we cannot qualify ourselves. Again, I think we're in intel land. There's high achievers here, but there's actually a liberating truth here. You and I, we cannot qualify ourselves. You cannot qualify yourself. We all are disqualified in and of ourselves for we all have rebelled against God. We all have sinned. We have all fallen short. We've all done things we should not have done. I stand up here guilty as well. 
and we've all done things that we should not. Or we've all done things we should not, and we all have not done things that we should have done. There's been many times that we've stepped out when we should not. There's been many times that we didn't step up when we should have. We are disqualified. We do not measure up to a perfect, holy, just God. We are disqualified. And the great deception is thinking, no, I'm not. No, I'm not. How dare you, Stephen, say that about me? The first step to liberation, the first step towards life is actually one that admits and actually embraces, I'm not enough. I am disqualified. But the good news is that through Jesus, we have been qualified. The good news is that through Jesus, we have been qualified. For as verse 14 says, in Jesus, we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He has qualified us. This is humbling, I will admit, but also it is emboldening. For if you didn't qualify yourself, if you didn't qualify yourself, then you can't unqualify yourself. You can't unqualify yourself if it wasn't, it wasn't based on you to begin with. You can't lose it. You can't unearn it. You can't unachieve it. For it wasn't your work to begin with. It was God's work. God's the one who died for you. God's the one who pursued you. God's the one who called you. God's the one who set after you. God's the one who paid for our sins. God's the one who rose from the dead. And God's the one who gave us his spirit. And God's the one who has empowered us to live a new life. God's the one who's given us a new identity. God's the one who has done it. It's like, you can't unearn that. You can't unearn it. You can't unachieve it. See, here's the good news. It was God's work from the start. You didn't start your qualification, so you're not going to finish your qualification. It was always grace. It is currently grace, and it forever will be grace. God's the only one who can qualify us for his inheritance in the family of God, in the kingdom of light. And the good news is he has through Jesus. So we are secure. We are secure. I just want to let this sink in. Let this stuff wash over us. So let's read verse 13 again. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He has rescued us. He has rescued us. He has rescued us. He has rescued us, church family. And for good news to be good, it has to invade bad spaces. And here's the bad news. You and I, we need rescuing. We need rescuing. Like the lost sheep in Jesus's parable, we were lost and we couldn't find our way back. But Paul, he, he increases the image here. He says, you were lost in the dark unable to find a path, unable to find a trail, unable to find a light. You and I, we needed rescue. We needed rescue. And the first step to freedom is embracing that you're lost and you need to be found. But as a friend of mine, Josh Butler, put it, in Jesus's economy, lost means loved. Lost means loved. Lost doesn't mean stupid. Lost doesn't mean you fool. Lost doesn't mean, you know, you're, you're, you're too far gone. Lost doesn't mean you're spoiled. Good lost means loved. 
Because the good news is that Jesus is the good shepherd and he loves his sheep. He pursues his sheep. He calls his sheep and he went all the way to hell and back. He went into the valley of the shadow of death to find his sheep and he found us, church family. He found us and he, he put us over his shoulders and he carried us into his kingdom of light. He took us out of the darkness and brought us into his kingdom of light. He has rescued us and not a single one of us here in this room can take credit for the rescue. It was all grace, but we can receive it and we can respond to it. God is good, amen? God is good. He found us and he rescued us. Read that one more time, verse 13 and 14. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and has brought us into the kingdom of the son who he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. See, what Paul's talking about is that the gospel is nothing short of a transfer of mastery. See, dominion of darkness, that's intense language, right? So the question is like, what is this? See, the dominion of darkness, it's the reality of evil made up of our sinful flesh, our sinful nature, the, the broken world, and the, the reality of the devil and Satan. And every single one of us, me, you, all of us, our default state, apart from Jesus. Apart from Jesus, we're enslaved, we're deceived, we're dwelling in this dominion of darkness. This is where we are, apart from Jesus. See, in this domain of darkness, we love our sin. I'm not tore up by it. I'm not trying to fight it. I'm, I'm, I'm not hurting anybody. You know, I live your truth. I, I'm living in the dominion of darkness. I'm not, I, I'm not tore up by it. I love my sin. In the dominion of darkness, the world is feeding us idolatry, saying, do what feels good. You do what you feel. You follow your heart. Like, it's giving us these narratives. It's saying, just, just look after yourself. It's saying, put yourself first. The dominion of darkness is feeding us these narratives that run contrary to the, the kingdom of light. See, this, this dominion of darkness is, is in us. It's outside of us. But also, it's the devil tempting, lying, enslaving. See, what we can't do is just say the dominion of darkness is just out there. It's a, it's a crazy world. The dominion of darkness is right in here apart from Jesus. Right in here. And again, this is bad news. The world, the flesh, the devil, dominion of darkness, but God. But God. God, these are sweet two words, but God, because of his great love, this is the good news, but God, because of his great love, sent Jesus Christ, who is not only the good shepherd, but he is the light of the world, amen, and this is the Lord of light, and through his substitutionary death on the cross, and through his glorious resurrection from the grave, he has conquered sin, Jesus has conquered sin, he has crushed the devil, he has defeated death, he has undone the power of our flesh, and he has set us free from the dominion of darkness. This is the good news, church. This is what I've been tasked with to proclaim here in this place, that you and I, we have been transferred from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of light, the good rule of Jesus. We have been redeemed. We have been forgiven. We have been liberated to walk in the light in all of life. And this is our story, church family. Darkness until the light rescued us darkness until the light rescue us for light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. And that's good news. Amen. Yeah. This is good news. A light shines 
in the darkness has not overcome it. He is the light of the world. He is the good shepherd and he has rescued us. So in closing, church family, those last words of our text today talk about redemption and forgiveness. Jesus is our savior who forgives. And he's also our king who sets free. See, in Jesus alone, we have both true freedom and we have true forgiveness. And the reality is we need both. We need both. If you long this morning for forgiveness, if you long this morning for freedom, if you long this morning for a new identity and a new story, look to Jesus. He is supreme and his gospel is sufficient. Jesus is supreme and his gospel is sufficient. See, Paul's goal in this letter is to grow the Colossians into having a mature view of Jesus, that he's Lord over all. And my prayer in this series is that it inspires us and it challenges us to elevate our view of Jesus overall and what it means to follow Jesus in all of life. And here's the thing, church family. Paul's just getting warmed up. <laughs> Paul is just getting warmed up. Today is just the appetizer to arguably the highest depiction of Christ in all of scripture. But for that, we'll have to wait until next week. Let's respond and let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you are supreme. You are above all thrones and dominions and rulers and powers. You are great, Lord. We thank you that even though we were lost, you came and found us. Even though we were in the darkness, you came and brought your light. We thank you, Lord, that you have changed us, you have saved us, you have set us free. Thank you that what we have done and what's been done to us does not define us. What has been done for us by Jesus defines us. Thank you, Lord, that you've set us free to live a new way and you've given us your spirit so we can actually do it. And Lord, I pray these next 10 weeks that you would help us have an accurate view of you, supreme. And we have an accurate view of your gospel as sufficient. Help us, Lord. We want to elevate you. We want to see you accurately as Lord over all. God, thank you for writing this book. Holy Spirit, thank you for giving us the gift of Colossians, this little book written to an obscure people at a time long ago. Thank you that it still speaks to us and changes us and empowers us. Thank you for listening to this episode of our Sunday Gathering podcast. To learn more about 26 West Church, please visit our website at 26westchurch.org.